Hey, party people, welcome to the Patrama party where we bring the fake ID we paid $300 for and it immediately gets confiscated by the bartender. RIP to the fake ID I got in LA that was literally laminated and like very obviously Xeroxed. So grab your push-up bra and your SSRIs and let's get into it. I'm your host, Remy Ramirez, and you'll have to forgive me. I got sick a couple days ago and then literally just before we started recording, like my voice, which had been fine the whole time, was suddenly like a goodbye. So please bear with my laryngitis as I talk to you about emotional flashbacks. What are emotional flashbacks? What causes them? All the things here, I'll tell you. In an article I found from CPTSD Foundation called, <laughs> this article is called The Living Hell of Emotional Flashbacks, which can I just say, if your mental health article doesn't have cuss words or like cuss adjacent words in it, you know, why bother? Anyway, this article says, Emotional flashbacks are a complex mixture of an intense and confusing reliving of past trauma from childhood. It's like living a nightmare while you are awake with overwhelming sorrow, toxic shame, and a sense of inadequacy. <laughs> Lol. Okay. And according to GoodRx, quote, emotional flashbacks are a rush of intense emotions related to past traumatic events that occur without any visual memories or images, which I think is super key. The part about like, there are no visuals associated with it. So what causes emotional flashbacks? According to the Awareness Center, emotional flashbacks are often associated with a diagnosis of complex trauma or CPTSD. Complex trauma can occur from ongoing adverse childhood conditions, including abuse, neglect, or abandonment. Hey, especially if the, the article didn't say, hey, by the way, <laughs> I added, hey, hey, especially this is the article now, especially if the perpetrator was close to the child, like a parent or other relative. So basically, from what I gather, it's when we somehow get triggered from something in the present that potentially isn't a real emotional danger, but we feel the same feelings we felt during ongoing childhood trauma. But unlike PTSD, we may not know that that's what's happening because we don't have a visual associated with it. So like maybe you hear yelling in the apartment next to yours and you start sobbing and feel super overwhelmed, or maybe someone gets annoyed with you and you feel terrified, like you have to run away. These are just like some examples of how it might show up. And by the way, they're different from panic attacks because panic attacks are responding to the situation that's right in front of you. Like that situation is legitimately fucking stressful. And emotional flashbacks are rooted in previous trauma, usually from childhood. And just like a quick recap, in case people don't know, PTSD is in response to a single event from your past. So like maybe you were in a car accident and now you freak out when you have to get in a car or when you hear someone like laying on their horn or something. Complex PTSD, what we call CPTSD, 
is the post-traumatic stress you experience from ongoing trauma, like, you know, child abuse, parentification, neglect, being raised with narcissists, things like that. Emotional flashbacks from what I read are pretty much all in response to CPTSD, which is why you don't have a visual when it happens. It's not like you have one memory of something that resurfaces in the moment. It's something that was so ongoing that for a lot of us, we may not even have realized we were being abused while it was happening, right? Like that was just life. It was just the way it was. But, or you might, right? Or you might've been like, hey, this is fucked. Anyway, honestly, I think many of us are experiencing emotional flashbacks all the time without realizing it, which is super problematic because if you don't even know you're experiencing it, you can't address it. So to help us get some clarity on emotional flashbacks, how we navigate them, how we work with them, I'm so happy to welcome licensed clinical social worker and psychotherapist Amanda Ichiyashi Yeagerman back to the pod. Hi, Amanda. Welcome. Hi, Remy. Thank you. It's so nice to be back. Oh, I'm so excited you're back. You came on for both parentification episodes, which were fucking amazing. So thank you. Thank you for making the time to come back on and to get us started. Also, can we talk about the fact that we are T-twins? Throat coat. <laughs> throat coat. For life. Oh my God. Throat coat for life, girl. Just like send you a bag on a drone case you need an extra one. <laughs> I do need an extra one. So if you could get that drone going, that would be amazing. I'll teabag you. Yeah. Can you teabag me, please? <laughs> no problem. Oh my God. Amazing. Also, before we came on, Amanda said that my voice sounds sexy. So <laughs> yeah. So that made me feel that gave me the confidence well, I can tell you're a therapist because you made me feel very confident. Let me reframe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Here's another way to look at this. Um, to get us started, we've chatted about your astrology before. You're a Leo sun, Pisces rising, Cap moon, which is such a cool balance combo. And I'm curious, we just finished Mercury retrograde. We just left the shadow of it today. I mean, I haven't talked to a single person who wasn't like fucked up by this Mercury retrograde. And I'm just curious, how did you, how did it go for you? Was it subtle? Was there like a big, huge lesson? Like, how did you do? Wow. Yeah, I got fucked. So it's interesting when you said it just left the shadow because like two weeks ago, I remembered it had been Mercury retrograde. So I went to like, is mercury and retrograde.com and it said no something else is bumming you out and then i was like fuck then what the hell but i guess it was in the shadow so i feel a little more validated but no it's fuck my partner like lost his iphone like i don't know just weird technological things like weird really like bureaucratic multi-step like upload this awful document to this awful website like what kind of stuff going on and <laughs> Like super weird communication, like wonky kind of stuff going on. And I'm just like, do I continue to try or do I like step back? And yeah, sometimes it was hard to know. So yeah, totally. That everything you just talked about, especially like losing a phone is that is peak, peak Mercury retrograde, but also wonky boundaries with people that is all because that's a communication thing also. Yeah communicating boundaries. Yeah. I'm sorry. It was fucked for you. And I, just so you know, 
it was fucked for everyone. I, there was not a single person in my fucking stratosphere who was like, oh no, I'm having a very, sometimes I do have a chill Mercury retrograde, but this was not one of them. It was not one of them. I am sorry, but girl, we left the fucking shadow today. So even though my voice <laughs> is like took a poop, like Mercury went fully direct. I, you know, oh, well, um, okay, cool. I'm going to dive into my experience with this. While I do that, feel free to jump in with thoughts, ideas, ASMR, you know, little ASMR whispering, soothing us through this. Or you can just, you know, chill, kick back, fill out a survey, whatever you want to do. Either way, at the end, I'll turn questions over to you. How does that sound? Sounds great. Okay, cool. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, here we go. So when I was 17, I was a freshman in college and I took a poetry workshop for the first time. I, you know, I can't remember what the fuck we were talking about. This was like a thousand years ago, but there was a very civil disagreement happening at the table around a specific topic. And I felt really strongly about whatever my stance was. I can't at all remember what it was. But what I do remember is that I raised my hand to voice my opinion, which I knew wouldn't be a popular one. And when the professor called on me, I suddenly started to feel like I was going to faint with fear. It was so intense, this fear, that I started to get really dizzy and I started to not be able to see. Like I started to get tunnel vision and literally like I almost blacked out. So I just told the professor that I'd forgotten what I was going to say. And as soon as they moved on from me, everything subsided and I felt totally fine. If you've listened to the pod before, you probably know I grew up with really aggressive, verbally violent parents who are both on the narcissistic scale. And it was not an option to strongly disagree with them when I was growing up. That was a dangerous act that would, without question, lead to me being in trouble, which sometimes involved physical violence, but definitely involved being screamed at, sent to my room, given the silent treatment or any combination of those. So in this moment, when I was about to enter into a discussion and disagree with some of these people and also potentially experience some of them being mad or frustrated or like against me in some way, I suddenly became so overcome with fear that I nearly passed the fuck out. That's a really clear example, but emotional flashbacks come up for me in subtle ways too. 
And I think the one that's most common is through dating or sex. I've talked about versions of this in so many different ways on the pod, but I am anxiously attached in romantic scenarios. And that means I grew up around unpredictable parents. I never knew what version of them I might get, especially my mom was more unpredictable. Sometimes she was like super supportive and sometimes really scary. And it left me feeling like love could be taken away from me at any moment that I had to fight to keep it and that I couldn't just like trust and relax and feel safe when it came to love. And I, I actually want to change the word love here because I don't think a lot of what I was actually experiencing as a child was love per se. I think the right word is more like connection of some kind. Like I could get a connection from my mom if I was upbeat, right? Like if I hadn't broken something, um, which was like was so scary if you broke something in the house. Um And also like if she was just in a good mood, right, then I could get the connection that I wanted and I could avoid rage from my dad if I people pleased really hard and stayed quiet and just never contradicted him. And all of that left me feeling really disposable and unvalued and unseen. In fact, one time many years ago, I was doing a road trip by myself from LA to Austin. And I remember I was listening to a perfect circle for those of you who are old enough to remember that Maynard of tool had this side project called a perfect circle. I met you met Maynard perfect circle went through my hometown. They played at this random college pub and he stepped into the alleyway to smoke a cigarette. And I went up to him and asked for an autograph. Was he nice? He was really nice. He complimented my hair. My hair was pink and yeah, got the autograph. Oh my God. That's a great story. He also lives in Arizona. Like he lives pretty close to where I live from what I hear. And I know a lot of people who know him, but I don't know him, (laughs) but I'm always like, will I see Maynard? Um, Sorry. Sorry, everyone. We just had to nerd out on Maynard for a second because I was a huge tool fan back in the day. That was Amanda. Fuck. Yeah. Hey. So anyway, I was, I was on, I was doing this road trip. I was listening to a perfect circle and there's this song on their debut album called three Libras. And at the end he repeats in this like tragic voice, you don't see me. He says it over and over and over again. And I'm doing this road trip, listening to this album. This has got to be like 15 years ago. And I just fucking lost it. I just started sobbing uncontrollably in the car, like banshee crying. That moment in itself was, you know, an emotional flashback, right? And true to form, I was super confused in the moment about what was happening. But of course, years later, after lots of therapy, I realized now that that feeling of not being seen because I don't matter to people, my parents in specific, goes so, so, so deep and is such a big part of my CPTSD story and my emotional flashback journey. So here's a great example. A few years ago, I went on a date with this dude. We'll call him John. And we had a great time. We super hit it off. We made out after the chemistry was banging. And I was like, holy shit, this is awesome. Maybe this could be a real thing. The next night, I went out to dinner with some girlfriends 
And I told them who I'd been on a date with. And one of them was like, girl, I am so sorry to tell you this, but he fully hit up my friend to fuck literally today. <laughs> and then she shows me the text that he had sent to my friend's friend, which this woman had screenshot and then sent to my friend because you know how we do, like we ladies tell each other everything, which also let that be a lesson to anyone who's trying to get away with shady shit. It is a small world out there, you guys. <laughs> so of course I played it off in the moment. I was like, oh, whoa, okay, cool. I'm so glad you told me like, what a loser, whatever, whatever, you know? But then I went home, I got in the bathtub and I started sobbing and I found myself saying no over and over and over again. Like I was finding out that my whole family had just been blown up in a hijacked plane or something. A couple things. I really didn't know this guy very well. We weren't together. It's not like technically he was cheating on me or anything, but I have been cheated on more than once. And maybe more importantly, I've been involved with someone who was a compulsive liar for years. I was involved with this person who would make me think I was crazy when his stories didn't match up, who would gaslight me, who would go out of his way to tell me these really insane stories. And then years later, I found out that like none of it was true. And he was sleeping with many other women, several of whom I knew personally. The whole situation left me feeling like, uh, well, obviously, like I, I didn't matter to him. Like I was disposable. I was interchangeable, right? Like I was just one of many women when I thought that we were dating exclusively. And also, um, like I was stupid. I felt really stupid. And like, I wasn't important to this person who for years I, I thought was my best friend, right? I, I had all of those feelings that you would expect, but feeling betrayed or tricked or unseen by men specifically for me is something that I've experienced in many ways throughout my life, starting from being just a little bitty girl being raised by my mom. My parents split when I was six months old and my mom was super bitter about my dad cheating on her and being abusive, which she openly talked about when we were really small. She had also been raped at a fairly young age and had a severely abusive stepfather. Her own father had abandoned her, which she also told us about when we were really young girls. And all of this made her super distrustful of men. I remember when I was five, I'd been listening to Billie Jean, you know, because it was the eighties. <laughs> And I asked my mom, I was like, I was so confused. I was like, if the baby's eyes look just like his, why does he say it's not his son? I mean, we all know the lyrics to Billie Jean. And my mom, without skipping a beat, goes, because that's how men are, Remy. Which, by the way, I was utterly and completely obsessed with Michael Jackson as a little girl. So this was devastating news that like even my hero was bad in the same way that echoed all the heartbreak my mom had already been through with these core men from her life, right? Like my dad, her dad, her stepdad, the stories of whom I knew about in detail by the time I was five. And as I got older, I would go on to have lots of painful situations with men. In fact, in this moment, in terms of romance, I can only think of like 
two good experiences I've had with dating and the rest rank somewhere between not great to deeply fucked up, which along with the culture we live in, which sends messages to women all the time that they're only important if they're beautiful, that they're totally disposable, that they're not valued for who they are. All of this sort of worked together to create this bigger sense in me that men don't love women, right? Like it became this blanket statement. Men just use women for sex. They don't care about us in any meaningful way. And they don't see us as human. This was how the story played out in my head, which would be, you know, maybe like a bummer, but not so tragic, except that I'm heterosexual. (laughs) So as I'm here wrestling with all of this trauma around men, I'm also trying to find a man to be my life partner and like share in the ultimate intimacy of being in a relationship together. So, you know, it's just like not a chill combo. So fast forward to this moment in the bathtub. I've just found out that this guy who I was hoping could maybe turn into something serious, even though we just met, sent me a text telling me what an incredible time he'd had with me. And, you know, when can he see me again? And then immediately turned around and hit up some other woman to see if they could fuck that same night. And instead of being able to be like, oh, got it. Okay, fuck. This is not the situation I wanted it to be. And this is this guy is not the person I was hoping he was. And that's really disappointing. And I'm glad I found out this early on. Right. Like instead of that, I'm I'm hyperventilating in the bathtub, repeating no and like shaking my head no, quite simply just on the verge of a nervous breakdown, right? And I'll say I'm anxiously attached when it comes to dating, which feels very scary because unless I'm dating someone who's really attentive and an incredible communicator and like outwardly head over heels for me, I will end up feeling like I don't matter to him at some point. It's just my stuff. And when that happens... I almost always drop into this emotional flashback space that has nothing to do with the guy I'm involved with in the moment. In this scenario, when I zero in on what I was flashing back to, there are are layers, right? Which is the nature of an emotional flashback. It's not about one event. So there was this guy who was my high school sweetheart, the only boyfriend I've ever had in my whole life, who I ended up dating again in my 20s. We weren't together, but we dated who was also my best friend and a compulsive liar as well, who was sleeping with lots of other women. There was this other guy I was dating who I really, really, really liked, who like wouldn't commit. And the whole time was kind of telling me he was like good friends, good friends, wink, wink with this other woman. And then the instant he and I stopped dating, he instantly became her boyfriend, right? There was just this long list of moments when I felt tricked by the men I dated, but it went, you know, it went deeper underneath all of those. There was my mom's heartbreak around my dad cheating on her and tricking her. There were all the times I tried to get my dad to show me that I, that I was important to him and him responding like he couldn't care less, you know, this like massive accumulation of moments when my dad had shown me that I didn't mean anything to him. The times my dad had shown my mom that she didn't mean anything to him. The times that all of these guys I dated showed me that ultimately I didn't really mean anything to them. Plus the aspect of deception on top of all of that. And I'll just pause to say, I don't know if I meant 
nothing, literally nothing to these guys. And I don't know that my mom meant nothing to my dad, but that's the way the trauma felt, right? That's how my mom experienced it and communicated it to us. And that's also how I experienced it in those moments. So all of those traumatic experiences had compiled into this sort of nameless, shapeless trauma blob, right? And it erupted in that moment in the bathtub over this dude who I barely knew. And because I barely knew him and because I didn't know what was happening in that moment, like I, d- I didn't know I was having an emotional flashback. And because the feelings were so painful and so intense for me, I really bullied myself. Instead of having compassion for myself, I was like, Remy, what the fuck is your problem? You barely know this guy. Which brings me to this story. This one time, and maybe I've told this story before on here. I can't remember. But one time I'd been hooking up with this guy who I genuinely didn't have any real interest in. We had nothing in common. But he was super cute and the sex was great. And I was like, this is cool. This is me being a feminist. You know, this is me just having a good sexually liberated time. And then I took this trip to Brazil for like a week. And when I came back, I texted him. And when he hadn't texted me back within a couple hours, I was literally in child's pose on the floor sobbing. And I remember so clearly that there were two parts of me. There was a part of me that was just in it so deeply, the part of me that was crying. And then there was this other part of me that was like above me looking down at me sobbing on the ground. And she was like, this is insane. You are insane. There's something really wrong with you. And you just shouldn't date at all because you clearly can't handle it. Right. She was like very punishy. So I wanted to name that in case other people have gotten mean with themselves as a result of these flashbacks, especially when you don't understand what they are and they don't make sense to us. It can be really tempting to get mad at ourselves and be like, get a fucking grip, dude. What is wrong with you? Which brings me to the healing portion of this. What can I offer in the way of healing? I don't know any way to stop having these flashbacks. I'll start with that. They happen without any warning for me and they come on super fast. So there's no way that I've been able to figure out so far for me to get in between the thing that triggers me and the flashback. But what I have been able to do is understand that it's happening. And that honestly makes such a huge difference. I just talked about the way I used to bully myself when I would have these. Even with the example I gave from the poetry workshop, even in that moment, I was like, ugh, what is wrong with you? Like, why are you such a coward that you can't articulate a simple dissenting argument? I mean, I just really had no idea what was going on with me and I wasn't putting it together. So the first thing I want to offer is that just knowing it's happening will really help with self-compassion and self-talk. I think when you don't know why you're having the intense reaction that you're having, it feels really frustrating and you feel out of control. Or anyway, that's what's true for me. It really like that whole feedback loop that we go into around, I'm too much, I'm too much, I'm too emotional, I'm uh, there's something wrong with me, right? Like it triggers that whole feedback loop that just sucks. 
Like I would feel like, why are you so fucked up? Why are you such a mess? Why can't you just be chill like everyone else? Which by the way, I think many of us are not chill, but we're all super good at hiding it. So everyone thinks that everyone else is just like cruising through life when actually so many of us are just like in child's pose crying behind closed doors. But anyway, I would have the painful, intense feelings of the flashback, plus all of this shame piled on top of it. And for me, my story has always been because you're fucked up, you'll always be alone. So then I have the trigger that's happening in the current moment that's stressful for me, right? Like fucking John over there trying to fuck whoever, whoever, right? That's the stressful thing. Then all of the feelings from the past trauma that are resurfacing through the emotional flashback, then a bunch of shame about how that makes me fucked up. And then the final conclusion of, therefore, no one will ever love you. (laughs) Or like in the case of the poetry workshop, you'll never get anywhere in life because you can't just like have a simple discussion. So once I started to realize that these intense responses were emotional flashbacks, It was way easier for me to stop berating myself and give myself a fucking break, honestly. Like, oh shit, you're really overwhelmed, Rem. Like, what do you need? What do you need right now? The other thing I'll name that's been helpful for me is once I've caught my breath a bit and been able to calm down, I'll see if I can connect to the original issue that's on the other end of the flashback. I don't know if that would be helpful for everyone because I think that could maybe potentially be really overwhelming for some people. But for me, it actually helps when I'm in it because it dispels the confusion. If I'm sobbing over something that doesn't seem like that big of a deal to me, like Duder not texting me back right away, and I don't know what the original wound is, I don't know what's actually causing me to have this huge emotional response, then I just feel completely lost in the feelings and I feel really confused. But if I'm like, okay, I'm having a flashback. I'm feeling disposable because of all the times my dad treated me like I was annoying, or I'm feeling like love can be taken away or connection can be taken away from me at any moment because, you know, my mom wasn't predictable with her mood swings or that I could disappear and my dad wouldn't notice or care. Like that was another big one for me. Whatever, whatever it is, if I can like locate it, it helps me detach from the current situation that's right in front of me and not put so much weight on that. And for another, it helps me really ground into what I need in the moment. Like, oh, okay, this is actually a very big deal. Like, it's not about this text. It's about like not feeling loved by my dad, you know? So, okay, do I need to go for a walk? Do I need to get in the bath? Do I need to like get in bed and cry and hug my stuffed animal, whatever it is, but let's definitely take care of me right now. Like I can shift it. And that's another thing I want to add here too. If you have emotional flashbacks that come up around dating or maybe even around like platonic relationships, it's really easy if you don't know what's happening to think that you're having this huge emotional response because of how much you care about this person you're dating or like how much you love this person you're trying to be friends with or that you need this person in your life forever or like whatever, right? Like I can't tell you how many times I've made that mistake. I'm dating some guy whose behavior triggers a flashback around feeling like I don't matter. And I'm sitting there sobbing, thinking 
I must be having this big response because I need this dude's love and approval. Like this is all about him and how much I, I must really care about this guy. And I didn't even know it, which, you know, I think that's a really easy, logical step to make. It makes sense. But for me, it just hasn't been the case. I find that when I'm having these really emotional meltdowns because of the flashbacks, I project those feelings of longing and heartache that were part of the original abuse wounds with my dad or with my mom or who or whoever onto the person I'm dating. And then I think that all of these huge emotions are about him when they're just not. So again, knowing the sort of like anatomy of these flashbacks, what they look like, how they work, helps me detach from the situation that's in front of me. Not completely, of course, right? Like I still have feelings about the situation in front of me, but enough to get some distance from it and be like, okay, I'm not actually obsessed with you. You know, I'm just super fucking traumatized (laughs) and I need a minute to recenter and get clear on this and take really good, sweet, loving care of myself as I move through this traumatic experience. Okay, Amanda, how are you doing over there? I'm well, thank you. Just taking it in. Cool. Well, let me jump in then. What's happening when we have an emotional flashback? What do we experience and what's happening physiologically in our, like what's happening emotionally, what's happening physiologically. Right. Well, uh, first off, as you said, there's a trigger. A trigger is anything that reminds us of the trauma that on a physical level puts the nervous system into high alert. And then we're having a really big, maybe exaggerated or disproportionate emotional or physical reaction or both. So the trigger, right? The reminder of the past trauma could be external, like we're driving past the house where the bad things happened, or they could be internal, like feeling sweaty and trapped and confused, just like we did when the trauma happened. So flashbacks and triggers in a way are a normal human reaction to having gone through a very abnormal situation. Mm. So we can define an emotional flashback as a sudden, intense, intrusive, and highly emotional, vivid re-experiencing of those same negative thoughts, feelings, even physical sensation that originally happened in the childhood trauma experience. So as you said, with emotional flashbacks, there's not a lot of visualization that comes along with the trigger and the memory, but yet the memory is so, so heavy on the feeling and emotional information. There's also a lack of contextual information and time orientation with these very painful, very early memories, and we could get to that later. So emotional flashbacks can happen when something in your life now has triggered you and you're reacting to the thing in front of you, but it's the past version of you coming into the now. So it's the past child self and you feel those painful emotions of your child self and you think the way you thought as that hurt kid because that hurt child, in a way, they were like left behind in the trauma, But 
their frame of reference, they're now being pushed into the current situation and it's taking over. And wouldn't you know it, that past hurt child pushes out that current adult self. And instead, the child is on this loop of intense pain, sadness, isolation, abandonment, fear, guilt, and those things. So I know it's fucked. It's fucked. Yeah. So as a framework, you know, if you can imagine a bus and on this bus, there's all kinds of passengers and each passenger represents a past version of you or maybe like the different archetypes that make up the total of your personality. And also on the bus is the adult current self. So let's say on that bus, we have the innocent baby, the hurt child, the defiant adolescence, the curious explorer, the lover, the wise self, the current self, yada, yada, yada. But on the bus, there can only be one driver at a time, mm. right? Only one person in control, steering the wheel, looking around, whatever. So Usually, ideally, the driver of the bus is the current adult self. Are they equipped? They know their surroundings. They know it's May 31st, 2023. They have a lot of experience. They've learned a lot of things along the way. During an emotional flashback, the hurt child that like sits in the very back gets activated by a trigger. Like maybe it sees something out the window and they run up the aisle of the bus and they push over the adult driver, they wrench the wheel away from them, and now the hurt child is in the driver's seat. So when that hurt child is, is driving, they're seeing things the way a child sees. They think the way the hurt child thinks. They're operating the bus from a deeply emotional hurt and confusing place. And moreover, that hurt child who's now driving, they're just not able to ask the adult or any of the other passengers for help. It's just not accessible to them. So because that childhood self was so traumatized, the emotional state of that child feels, again, intense fear, shame, despair, horror. This is a fun list, right? Confusion. And if an outsider were to witness us having an emotional flashback, it might seem like, we're irritable or irrational or full of rage or anger. But to us, the person having it, when fear and despair are the main emotions that happen to crop up, then that links to a lot of panic and overwhelm and maybe even thinking, I'm going to die or I want to die, or at least I don't know if I want to live. Now, there's also feelings of powerlessness, helplessness, worthlessness, feeling trapped, and also feeling like we have a lack of control and a lack of choice. And sometimes that can really make someone to the point where they're numb or frozen, like they have to hide and make themselves small, like literally your child's pose, like, ugh, let's just curl into a ball. So in this state, we are in the shit with our negative core beliefs, the negative core beliefs are either one, I'm not safe, two, I'm bad, or three, I'm powerless. Those are the big buckets. So any negative belief that we might throw out here, it really boils down to one of those 
and it points to an original wound. So for example, I think it from your storytelling, it seemed like the I'm worthless, I'm unlovable theme came up. So that would be kind of in the broader I'm bad category. So yeah, those negative beliefs, that's really what's coming up. And childhood abandonment in particular sucks extra balls because it is a combination of all three of those negative beliefs. It's a combination of being unsafe because as small human children, when we're isolated, we may not survive. It brings up the the I'm bad, which connects to being unlovable, unworthy, and it connects to having no power because children have little or no choices or the ability to change their situation. So abandonment is the literal worst and one of the telltale signs of complex PTSD. Just for a little more context, the emotional flashback is a really common symptom of complex PTSD, you know, CPTSD, where there was significant, often multiple long-term traumas starting in childhood. And a lot of the times it starts in early childhood, which means before the age of five. And when the trauma goes back even further to before the time when we had language, it it's very painful. So this kind of trauma comes from the origin of a dysfunctional parent-child relationship. So thinking of parents who are abusive, absent, neglectful, emotionally unavailable, um, involved in their own addictions, whatever, you think about that and how that's going to profoundly negatively affect the brain, the development, the heart and soul of a small child. And that child is hardwired to depend on that parent for survival and safety and soothing. And I think we all intuitively know or have learned that that kind of foundational parent-child relationship that is so damaged is going to affect that child into adulthood and have an impact on all subsequent relationships, like how they attach and bond and handle stress and conflict, their self-esteem and all of that. Now, that's not to say we can't work on it because we can heal, right? We can redirect ourselves when we get a little older, but, you know, that that's that would be like the trajectory if it's that painful and it's not attended to. So abandonment is huge, and that could be an emotional abandonment or physical abandonment. So in a way, that hurt child has actually gotten used to abandonment. Like maybe that actually it sucks, but it feels familiar and it's still really scary. So given all of this, an emotional flashback is a completely understandable and in a way normal reaction to an extremely abnormal childhood. And, you know, all of that childhood trauma feels like absolute horseshit. So of course, humans are going to want to escape they want to numb out, zone out. They want to feel good or even just feel normal. So that can look like self-medication or addiction. So a lot of folks with CPTSD, you know, you experience the emotional flashbacks. They, they believe that they're fundamentally flawed or broken and they blame themselves for so much. So if anyone needs to hear it, you know, that is not you to the core of your being. That is the human trauma response talking. The emotional flashback 
is a sign that there's a part of you that is yearning and desperate for comfort and acceptance and soothing and connection. But those are unmet needs. And that's coming up in this kind of episode. Another thing that's really connected with an emotional flashback is toxic shame. So that part, Remy, where you were like, got back from Brazil, guy didn't text back in a timely manner, you know, and then you kind of like saw yourself above yourself and like, oh, that you're not fit for humanity. I mean, that sounds like a layer of toxic shame. So there's a book called Healing the Shame That Binds by John Bradshaw. And he defines toxic shame as a profound level of shame, as in I'm fundamentally broken and bad and unlovable. So he says that toxic shame obliterates an individual self-esteem with an overpowering sense that they are worthless, stupid, contemptible, fatally flawed. And that was the way that person was viewed by their original caregivers. So you see the child self who then grew up to be an adult. I mean, it's fucked. They soaked up and retained the negative internalized view of themselves, the view that was assigned to them by their parents. They took it on. And so in an, in a flashback, the toxic shame is functioning on that cycle. And it's really hard. It makes it really hard ironically, to look for the support and comfort that we need. And there's a kind of a reason for that, because when we're in a flashback, right, it's it's all emotion, right? We're not getting a lot of visual information. We're not like, you know, we're like in our rational minds. So in a flashback, we're just not great at accessing the rational brain or the part of us that is wise or the survivor or the current adult and our best coping and whatever, those just aren't available to us. The hurt child never got those things. They're kind of stranded in the wilderness without a map. And the hurt child that emerges in the flashback from the past to the now never learned how to connect to other points of view, to wisdom, to resources, to updated information. So could you imagine being in the middle of a full-on fucking emotional flashback and being like, cool, well, let me just, you know, dry my tears and whip out my list of trustworthy people in my life and call them up and tell them what's going on because I can totally rely on their love and support. Right. I mean, not really, not unless you've done a significant amount of work, but it's so it's not accessible to reach the current adult self and it's not their fault. It's just that her kid just never got the updated message. And so it's extra fucked Two, because after an emotional flashback episode has ended, right, that kind of leaves us reeling from it. Like, whoa, that was horrible. I I guess that's just like permanently a part of who I am. Um, God, I'm awful. I'm never going to get better. Look at what I did. Look at what I said. How humiliating. So you see again how that toxic shame cycle continues and it's actually kind of reinforced. So I don't know who needs to hear this, but if that resonates with you, that's the CPTSD cycle you're reacting to. It does not mean that that is fundamentally a part of your personality. 
your nervous system and your past hurt self, right? That innocent, beautiful kid who was in a really terrible situation, those things are taking over without your choice. They are hijacking you and they're kind of tricking you into believing, wow, this is just who I am and I hate myself. A flashback is never a choice. It is not a character flaw. It is a deeply visceral trauma reaction. And the way that the nervous system is kicked into gear, it's automatic, not a choice. The way that your soul is crying out in fear and loneliness is not a choice. It is the past pain surging up and taking over the current moment. You look like you're going to (laughs) cry. So many of the things that you said, especially the part about like the child is the bus driver yeah, and that we don't have a choice, which actually feels so validating because when I was thinking about how, like, what can I offer in terms of healing? I was like, well, shit, I don't know how to not have a flashback, you know, like I don't, I can't tell anyone how to, cause I don't know, but It's so lovely actually to hear that I don't have a choice because I mean, I guess maybe that could maybe that could sound really daunting to someone. But for me, it's like if I know I don't have a choice, then when it's happening, I'm like, there's nothing I could have done to prevent this. This is just me having, like you said, a fully human response to this really shit thing that I had no control over when I was a kid. So I don't have to try to force myself into this. Like, how do I figure out how to not do this anymore? I can't. So I don't have to, you know, I can just have compassion for the fact that it's happening. And what's so interesting, like I, I did not put it together ever that the child was taking over but all of the things that make me feel better when I'm having a flashback are things that a child would do. Like get in bed and hug a stuffed animal. That's literally something I do when I'm having a flashback. Just like cry in bed with my frog, (laughs) my little frog, Um, or get in child's pose. Like the fact that I fucking got in child's pose is really wild to me now with all of this new information. It's literally called child's pose. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I never, I never put that together, but it's, it also kind of brings in like a somatic thing around um, do physically doing a thing that a child would do to kind of soothe the child physically in the, in the way that I would have went or I would have wanted to be soothed when I was five. So yeah, that was, Thank you so much for laying that out. That was so powerful and so clear. I feel like in like several minutes, I just got leaps and bounds smarter about this. Let me ask you this. How do we know when we're having an emotional flashback versus when we're just having an emotional response to the situation that's in front of us? Good question. Yeah, there's a a couple of differences to look out for. So when we're having a regular old emotional response to a stressful situation and having big, big feelings, we are still able to access the rational brain and objective information. We'll be able to toggle between feelings and facts, 
we could access our internal wisdom and experience and resources, we could be able to pull up lessons and tools and coping and soothing and, you know, questions that are helpful that we picked up along the way. We'd be able to look back on the journey of our lives and say like, oh, okay, I overcame that challenge. So I think I should be able to get through this thing now in an emotional response, we could still do that. And we still stand a chance of knowing what we need. And we stand a much better chance of reaching out for support from others and discerning the kind of help we need and the kind of people who could reasonably give it to us. Um, Even though we know it's shitty, we know we can get through it. So in an emotional response, there's still the adult in the driver's seat. And if the driver gets pulled out, it doesn't take that long for the driver's seat to get back. In an emotional flashback, that's a little different because the hurt child self is coming forward from the past into the now. And that hurt little kiddo doesn't have access to the wisdom and the adult self and the fact that they survived or the resources or the community the emotional state of the hurt child self effectively is cut off from those things because in a way it's kind of stuck at the emotional level and the level of knowledge and skills and beliefs at the age when the trauma happened or started happening. So that really goes along with the idea of a fragmented self with an emotional flashback. The hurt child is driving, not the adult. Another sign that it's a flashback is that toxic shame. The toxic shame is not going to come up usually with just regular old conflict. The shame would devolve us into a spiral and a loop of those negative beliefs, right? I'm broken. I'm unlovable. I'll never be safe. I can't trust myself. Um, It's always my fault. I always have to take care of everything. Another thing common to a flashback is a skewed sense of time. So we talked about this a little bit earlier. That means that the emotions and beliefs of the hurt child, they believe that their suffering is eternal. It always was and it always will be. And we call that eternity thinking. Oh, right. Yeah, we'll give some examples. So because there's a lack of time context in an emotional flashback, it feels like there's no end or beginning to the suffering and abandonment. There's no end. There's no prospect for change. There's never going to be a chance for positive change. It's almost things like it's never going to get better. No one will ever choose me. I'm always going to fuck it up. So you hear those words, never, ever, always like that's a signal. So in the CPTSD childhood, a safe future or any kind of future would be very difficult to imagine because as a kid, there might've been times you thought you would die, like literally. So that hurt child kind of, um, it just never really understood that temporal aspect. It's almost like they're time blind in a way. So watching out for those eternity thinking words and those absolutist statements is really important because that's the voice of the person that's going to come out during a flashback. Mm. Another sign is something you mentioned, right? That overwhelming desire or impulse to make yourself small or hide or disappear. And maybe like child's pose, that could be like a comforting 
thing. Um, and there's also this sense of, you know, I have to make myself small to not rock the boat. I don't want to draw attention to myself. I don't want to incur further pain or punishment. Maybe I literally need to hide away until dad's rage is over. Right. Right. So that impulse to physically, and you, I mean, I think, you know, we, we may notice that we kind of cave in our shoulders and we cast our eyes downward and like kind of cave ourselves in with our bodies. So that's also happening. Wow. Yeah. That makes so much sense. Let me ask this. What can we do in the moment when we are experiencing an emotional flashback? So just keeping in mind that it, especially at the beginning of our healing journey, it it is going to be difficult to slow down and uh, access the current adult self to like help us and soothe us. But here's some things. The first thing we want to do is make sure that you're actually safe, right? So assuming that you are indeed objectively, physically, and emotional and safe, um, as in not in a burning house, not around a pack of assholes who are shaming you, um, or that you can at least get yourself to safety, uh, that would be number one. And then after that, you know, I think it's a lot of the things you mentioned. You can take slow, deep breaths. You can place your hand on your heart or on your tummy. And in a really kind, slow voice, you say, I'm having a flashback. It will pass. Or like, this human is having a flashback. I've gotten through them before. Maybe something like, whoa, the PTSD, the CPTSD is flaring up. I should really take a break and take care of myself. So making statements like that and really slowing down is good because it's non-judgmental, it's factual, and it's validating. It gets you away from that usual shame and confusion that comes with flashbacks. So again, assuming you're safe, another thing is to remind yourself I'm afraid, but I'm not in danger. Or we might say, sure, I'm uncomfortable and I'm struggling and I'm a mess, but I'm not unsafe. So it's really helpful to understand the discernment between discomfort and safety. When we're in that full on trauma mode, the brain is just like danger, danger, danger. It's not going to fucking stop. Then like think about nuance, right? And sometimes in life, Shit goes down and things are both uncomfortable and unsafe. But, you know, the nervous system will trick us into thinking that's always the truth when it isn't. So discerning discomfort versus safety is really good to um, help the rational brain come on board. And that's going to help soften the sharp edges of the emotional cycle. Um, another thing, which, you know, seems like you're doing already is reconnecting and realigning to your body. So this means I am going to find a safe and quiet space where I can slow down. I'm going to focus on my breath and I'm going to ask my body for permission to relax. You can take inhales through the nose, like you can count to four and then you could take a longer exhale through the mouth. So maybe counting to eight on the exhale. So anytime we take an exhale that's lo longer than the inhale, we're helping our nervous system to calm down. And so when we're in a calmer state, we could be 
more able to notice the uncomfortable emotions without reacting to them. We could watch them come and go just like the ocean's tide. So this step is really heavy on calming the nervous system and re-regulating ourselves. Um, another thing that's really good is to literally remind yourself you are in an adult body. You are an adult and you have the kinds of resources, support, information, life lessons, um, money, agency choices that you did not have as a child. The child you survived and is now the adult you. So let's say, though, that those things make rational sense. But in the moment, it's like, oh, my God, who the fuck is going to remember to do that? So I highly recommend writing yourself a letter containing all of that information so that you can read it to yourself during an episode so that you don't have to exhaust your brain on top of everything else. Like literally all you would have to do is like bust out that letter and read it. Maybe if there's a trustworthy person around, you could like let them know, hey, here's where it is. And maybe they could read it to you and you just kind of lay back and let that wash over you. So for example, maybe my letter would say like, you know, dear Amanda, if you're reading this, you're having an emotional flashback. I know they feel awful and scary and you're probably being really hard on yourself, but I'm here to tell you it won't last. And I'm here to remind you to be gentle. If you're reading this, that means you're at home and you are safe in the home that you created for yourself. So lie down on the couch and take some breaths and yada, yada, yada. <laughs> So um, I don't know if the whole letter thing sounds super cheesy to folks, but I would think I of love it that like you do because like it's like break in case of emergency. You know, it's like better to have it and not need it than to need it and not have it. And honestly, like we all fucking owe it to ourselves to spend 15 minutes to do something that could really help us in the future. Oh, 100 percent. I love that. And so let me ask to close us out before my voice completely takes a shit on on this. What does the healing process look like with emotional flashbacks? Right. So in addition to those kind of like in the moment things, um, there are some things that are better to do outside of a flashback, you know, when you're feeling more regulated and like, you know, you got all your, all systems ago here. So there's a really great book by Pete Walker. Pete Walker is kind of like this big expert on emotional flashbacks and CPTSD. He's a survivor himself. So the book is called CPTSD from surviving to thriving. So I think it's near the back. He really lays out, I think like 13 steps in total. So um, I'm just going to read some of them. So uh, one thing he says is to take ownership and give your permission to set boundaries, right? Knowing our limits, expressing what we want and what we need, and also expressing what we aren't willing to tolerate or when we notice that our energy is getting rapidly depleted. He also says um, to destruct, uh, sorry, deconstruct the eternity thinking. So let's remember that in childhood, you know, the suffering seemed endless, the future seemed uh, impossible. So we want to counteract that eternity thinking by getting really clear on what it means to be firmly oriented in time. So this might look like things like 
this flashback will pass. It always does. You've gotten through that before, and now you get to think about what your future is going to look like. So when we are reparenting ourselves with things like soothing words and thoughts, it's so useful to use that language that emphasizes time or temporal information like then, now, the past, currently. That was before I knew any better, but now I know that. Back then I was just a kid, but now I'm a grown-ass woman. Things like that. Um, Another thing that Walker talks about is noticing and questioning and redirecting when those inner criticisms and negative core beliefs and toxic shame narratives come up. So over time, we can learn to observe what comes up and we can learn that we don't have to automatically believe them. We can question them gently. We can replace them with thoughts that are kind and realistic and balanced. So writing, journaling, therapy is really great for something like this. Another thing is to give yourself permission to grieve, right? It is impossible to have a CPTSD childhood without loss and grief. There's grieving for your child self. There's grief over the love and the safety you never got. The grief that, you know, we can't go back in time and make it different. So um, Pete Walker offers that each and every flashback can be seen as an opportunity to express and release some of what we've been holding on to. So a flashback doesn't feel great for sure, but there are unmet needs that are really trying to be expressed. So knowing what those needs are clears up the confusion and helps us to understand and have compassion for our child self. And it creates kind of like a a blueprint forward in where we want to go with our healing. Um, Another thing you know, hey, avoid the assholes, right? Avoid people who are simply tolerating you. Only be with people who are celebrating you, right? Cultivate those healthy, safe, reciprocal relationships with those cool people. When we're in trauma mode, we tend to stick to what's familiar, even if it's not great for us. So if you notice that you continue to engage in relationships with people who just aren't good for you, or you just feel icky or shamed, get away from them. So when you do have those healthy relationships, enjoy those times for sure. And also balance that with times you need for yourself, right? Solo time to recharge and connect when you need. So we want to counteract the isolation and abandonment and and we want support, but we want to do that in a way where we're not going to get completely overwhelmed and drained. Another thing, of course, is take time and learn or even list out what your triggers are. Like, what are the situations? What are the people? What are the sensations that trigger me? Um, If you were even to Google it, there's like Google images, like PDFs of lists of triggers. And you could just like check the box, like check, 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 check. Well, all of them. Great. Okay. So, uh, yeah, the self-knowledge piece is really big. And another one is, and I think this one's a little more um, intense, right? But it's so valuable. We need to learn exactly who 
is taking over the driver's seat when a flashback occurs. Like that might be the eight-year-old self who wants to be held, or it might be the, um, you know, 10-year-old self who um, wants to be loved or safe, you know, whatever. So once we peg the age of that person who's emerging, and maybe there's a lot, we want to get familiar with what they believe to be true about themselves and their parents or the world. Probably a lot of negative beliefs or like incomplete information is going to come up. Sure. Cause Hey, child. And those beliefs again, will always boil down to like, I'm not safe. I'm bad. I don't have any choices. So once we tap in and know those negative beliefs and the person who is thinking them, it's like we know the poison, so then we can be a lot clearer on what the medicine is. Can I ask a question about um, when you were talking about the list of triggers? Mm -hmm. Once we know that, what do we do with it? Right. Well, I think it's fair that some triggers are legitimately dangerous and it is it makes sense to avoid them like if my trigger is like a big scary drunk dude with a knife then yeah if that's that's correct i should stay away there are going to be other triggers where um we we've probably uh, uh, avoidance and triggers go hand in hand like you know triggers cause pain we're human we want to stay away from pain so we tend to just avoid them but there are going to be other triggers that we can learn to kind of um, have a smoother reaction. Or when we notice that we have a reaction over time, we can like gently expose ourselves to it, you know, assuming that it's not like a physical danger. Like when rejection, we, for example. That could be an example, you know, because every we can't go through life without rejection of some form. So it could be like, if my trigger is rejection, maybe I could start really small with kind of a low stakes kind of rejection. So I don't know what would be an example of that. Like um, I went to a work meeting and we were brainstorming and I threw out an idea and for whatever reason, you know, no one got on board. So that's probably low stakes. So that could be one example of using that little micro situation. Like once we know that we can survive it and that we're not going to crumble and fall to a million pieces, then we're like, oh, okay. We kind of prove that to our adult selves and we prove that to our kids selves. So maybe that's practice because, hey, you live long enough. There's another Mercury retrograde. There's going to be more rejection coming your way. So it's just better to be a little more equipped and confident, even with triggers. Amanda, thank you so, so, so much for coming on. This has been so illuminating. I've learned so much. I adore you. I love every time you come on. Thanks. If people want to get a hold of you, how can they find you? Sure. Um, my practice is called Alchemy Mental Wellness. I'm based in Portland, Oregon. My website is alchemymentalwellness.com. Amazing. And if you want to get a hold of me, you can find me on Insta at the Patrama Party or on my personal Insta at Remy's R-E-M-E-E-Z. 
I'm going to skip the rest of my spiel because my voice is like, (laughs) you hung in there. I really hung in there. I gave it all I had. Um, But you know, you know where to find me and you know, you can always support the Patrama party through Spotify. And until next time, baby, enjoy the party. Bye. information provided on this podcast is for informational purposes only. None of the material presented is intended to be a substitute for psychotherapy, counseling, professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. If you need to speak with a professional, find one local to you and reach out directly.